Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management. The only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals podcast, better known as FPOG. This week, we're really excited because this question came from a listener, and it was about college funding. So if you have any requests for future episodes, be sure to send them in. We're excited to talk about that today. Three things we're going to cover, contemplating and understanding the value of college. Uh, We'll talk in depth about 529 plans and some of the nuances and our philosophical ideas there. And lastly, we'll talk about a few various planning opportunities. But Justin, this week, I think since we're talking about college funding, a good place and college planning, a good place to start would be where'd you go to school and how do you come to make that decision? Awesome. So I've wrote about this a few few times in uh, different articles on the site. I went to Kansas State uh, in Manhattan, Kansas, known as the Little Apple. I am a huge Kansas State fan. Why did I go there? I have about 50 living relatives with degrees from Kansas State. I, uh, Growing up, we had season tickets to K-State football, uh, but we didn't just go to home games. We went to away games, uh, a couple away games each year as well. Um, so I am an enormous Kansas State fan. I could probably tell you very detailed information about a game from 1997, uh, if that is something that interests you. So that's why I went to Kansas State, huge Kansas State fan. How about you, Jared? Yeah, I went to University of Arkansas. We've talked about that a little bit, but how I came to to choose it, I actually moved to Memphis, Tennessee, going into my junior year of high school uh, from Los Angeles, which I wouldn't recommend, a pr- bit of a culture shock, but I made a few friends while at school, finishing up high school in Memphis, and I wanted to stay close to home. And as an out-of-state student applying to California schools, your odds go from uh, pretty low to pretty much impossible. So it was a good good option to stay stay close to home and not have to remake friends because I, I switched schools in high school. So it was a, it was a good spot. And I, I loved, loved my four years at the University of Arkansas. And uh, I live in that same town. So uh, it's, it's a great place to go to school and to live. So, all right, with that, let's, let's jump right into it. So Justin, first thing we're talking about is really the, the value of a college degree. And I think this is something that I think is, is becoming a lot better because I think there was a generation that said, hey, just get it, get a degree. It's an investment. Um, and while yes, that's true, most of the research shows that, you know, college educated professionals make more uh, than their peers that do not have uh, at least a bachelor's degree. There, there's some nuance there. And the disparity between public universities and private universities, you could spend a quarter of a million dollars easily on the cost of a four year university. So, Understanding the value really matters. And a couple of resources that, that we've found that have been great on that is Ron Lieber's book, The Price You Pay for College. Uh, it's really its own rabbit hole to kind of understand what people are paying, what what the advertised cost is versus what the final cost is. It, it really is a bit of a, a bit of a black box. But I think something that's helpful there is understanding, okay, what is the degree going to cost you? Getting a clear sense of that and resources like Ron Lieber's book will kind of help you begin to understand that process. But then also what are the, what are the prospects after school in light of the, in light of the potential degree that's going to be received? What does someone expect to make? And what is it? What is the, 
cost of getting that degree and and the potential earnings. So that's that's a good framework. But there's also a a more qualitative component, which is you know the soft skills that are learned and the relationships that are built that that becomes much more difficult to quantify. So both of those things are kind of re- related in understanding the value of a degree. But Justin, I kind of need to defer to you on this because. Lauren uh, just kind of finalized her law school decision, and you probably had a lot of this going through your head. You want to talk uh, with our listeners a little more about that? Yes. uh, This is something we never saw on our horizon when we got married. Uh, But Lauren, my wife, has always been interested in, in law school, and our kids are at an age where they're really getting into the elementary um, area. And so you know, we're, we're coming out of this stage of life that's just pure chaos, you know, trying to keep your head above water with, with a bunch of young kids in the house. And now that they're going to school, the question became, okay, so what do we want this stage of our life to look like? And uh, Lauren, my wife, was really interested in going to law school. And uh, the pandemic was just starting. Well, really, we had kind of started down this path even before the pandemic began and really just Felt like we wanted to explore our options and see what happened there. A couple different huge shifts happened. So, you know, I mentioned we thought about this before the pandemic. So our thought there was, okay, let's go to Houston. And then the pandemic happened and law schools went remote last year. Uh, And then work also went remote. Um, And so then we started thinking, well, maybe we could go anywhere. And uh, she ended up getting a really good score on the LSAT. And so long story short, we were evaluating a wide spectrum of options. So paint the picture. Uh, Kind of on the high end, we were thinking about uh, Washington University in St. Louis, uh, as well as Notre Dame. And so both of those are just excellent law schools. And on the kind of middle end of the spectrum, or, or really just more affordable options, we were thinking about Baylor, SMU, uh, Houston, and Texas A&M, and the University of Arkansas. Uh, just like Jared, my wife went to the University of Arkansas for undergrad. Um, so we we had this huge decision on our hands because uh, on one hand, Notre Dame is a really expensive school, but it's an excellent law school. Wash U in St. Louis is an even better school. Uh, and we ended up getting a, Lauren ended up getting a terrific scholarship to Wash U. It was not a full ride, but it was more than half of tuition. But still, with that being said, this was going to be a, a six-figure cost. When it was all said and done, we were we had a couple private schools that we were looking at in St. Louis for our, for our younger kids. And so with tuition plus some of the private school costs, it was going to be a big expense. But the flip side of that is in law school, it is cut and dry. Um, going to a better school, if you're interested in working at a big law firm, uh, it the payoff is the payoff is really obvious. And so, long story short, if she would have gone to Wash U, well, I mean, she could almost certainly, as long as you just graduate and pass the bar, uh, she could probably work at a big law firm in Texas. Big law market's pretty big in Texas, Dallas, Houston, and Austin. So the point I'm getting at is the cost benefit analysis was pretty obvious. Even though we were going to spend a lot of money, I mean, say with Notre Dame, we would have spent one hundred twenty thousand uh, total. For a degree at Notre Dame, they give a small scholarship, but still huge cost to go to Notre Dame. But the benefit is pretty obvious; it's it's pretty enormous. Lauren ended up receiving a full ride at Texas A and M, 
And so that is our choice. We chose Texas A&M over WashU Notre Dame, as well as over the you know Baylor, SMU, Houston options. And so the full ride at A&M certainly made the decision a little bit easy from a financial standpoint. Um, obviously, free is a really good price. But it's interesting because there, there's kind of a lot of aspects to cover with a decision like this. You know, we are technically leaving money on the table, even though WashU and Notre Dame would have been really expensive schools. It would have most likely been a home run. Lauren could have gotten a job at a big law firm in Texas, and it would have been a pretty fantastic scenario for her income. Now, the difficulty there is sometimes you don't make every decision to maximize your personal financial situation. And this was our situation entirely. You know, we're in a situation where uh, right now all of our family's income comes from comes from me, comes from Brownlee Wealth Management. Lauren's been a stay-at-home mom uh, for the past seven years. Really, really good mom. And, you know, with this future decision, it's it is a scenario where there is a, a cost benefit financial analysis, but there's also this reality where we don't necessarily know if we want Lauren to work at a big law firm. Lauren doesn't necessarily know if that's exactly what she wants to do. You know, where she works is obviously three years into the future after law school's finished. Uh, but we did know that it was a worthy endeavor. And as the kids go back to, as the kids go to school, this is a really good time for Lauren to go back to law school. And uh, she could potentially have four or five decades of work in front of her. So even though it's non-traditional, even though uh, she kind of took a much later stage in life going to law school than most, uh, we knew that it was something that that seemed like a great idea and something we're really excited about. But we also didn't want to move our family to a completely new state and spend a lot of money on a degree when... In our situation, I'm probably still going to be the primary source of income. Um, that's our that's our personal situation, and so if we were just trying to make decisions that maximize the bottom line and that made the most amount of money, we would be moving to South Bend, Indiana, or to St. Louis, Missouri, and we would be going to Washu or Notre Dame. But it just makes a lot more sense for us to stay in Texas, uh, partly because I mean I say that you know with our business with Brownlee Wealth Management. The pandemic showed that we could easily live anywhere. I used to joke with people, I mean, we we could live in Europe uh, and run this business because of the pandemic. It's kind of funny. All of the clients that we have in the Woodlands never schedule in-person meetings. <laughs> Truly never. They always do Zoom. Um, but it I think that's I think that's here to stay because you know, I think our meetings are great and uh, I'm confident we're providing a lot of value. But for if you're a client, you've got a busy life and it's a whole lot easier for you to jump on Zoom real quick, get it done, get what you need, and then move on and go to the next thing. And so I think we could have lived anywhere, but uh, it's still just from a personal and from a business standpoint, it makes so much more sense for us to stay in Texas. And so that, that decision of what is a degree worth, how do you make the decision of where to go for college? Uh, it's a personal one for us. It, it's one that we just made. And, you know, for us, we kind of weighed some of the pros and cons and ended up taking a a decision that we didn't really think we were going to take uh, six months ago, but we're thrilled about it now. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats to Lauren. That's really awesome. And I love, I love this example because it's really gets down to the crux of like what financial planning is. Financial planning isn't optimizing your finances. 
It's optimizing your life and considering the financial outcomes, right? Which are two very different things, right? Like if, if we were just optimizing finances, we'd never tell clients to take the vacation. We'd never tell clients to take the reduction in hours for self-care. We'd never, we'd never give them permission to do the things that make life worth living. So I, I love your anecdote. And so, so that's really kind of what we're doing. And that's the lens with which we approach that. So now that we've kind of begun to scratch the surface of, of value, which is such a difficult thing to quantify. Let's talk about the 529 plan. So to kind of set the stage, the 529 plan is really the most common funding mechanism for education and college expenses for, for undergrad education. So that's where we're going to start. Technically, there's what's called a, a Coverdell, which is an education savings account, but the contribution limits are so small that usually it doesn't make sense and the 529 is superior. So we're really going to focus our time there. Um, and then the only other caveat I paint before we get started is college funding should always take a backseat to you being in a good position financially. You can borrow for the cost of college, but you cannot borrow for retirement. And so kind of some of the strategies and things we're discussing, what really your financial house should be in order and you should feel good and clear about your direct time. time. So with that, Justin, what would you say about the 529 plan as it relates to a lot of our clients or people in Texas who work for oil and gas companies? So many considerations with the 529. Um, Okay. So your state matters a lot. Generally speaking, what is a 529? Think of it like a Roth IRA. So you put money into a Roth IRA, you don't get any tax benefit, right? Uh, There's no tax benefit up front, but your money grows tax-free. And as long as you follow the rules, you can take the the money out tax-free. So 529, very similar. Why does your state matter? Well, a 529, even though it is basically a Roth IRA from that standpoint, if you're in a state that has income tax, so state income tax, I grew up in Kansas, Kansas has a state income tax. If that's your situation, then you need to be a little bit specific with which 529 uh, you utilize because uh, you will likely have a state income tax benefit for choosing that state's 529 plan. And so being in Texas, um, and you know, kind of funny, we now have uh, clients in, I think, two countries and a handful of states. So obviously, most of our clients are in Texas, but uh, we now are serving clients all over. So if you're in Texas, if you're in Florida, or the other few states that don't have a state income tax, don't really need to worry about which 529 to utilize. But if you are in a state that has an income tax, you need to be aware of that. And uh, there's some planning considerations to not just get the uh, Roth IRA tax benefit with a 529, but also get a deduction as well. That's right. And you know, if if you are in an income tax free state, the value doesn't it's not eliminated, but it's greatly reduced, right? Because the thing about a 529 plan is is in the event you need those funds for non education expenses, and you withdraw them and use them for anything else you're subject to a potential penalty on those dollars. So that's something you need to think about and and kind of related to that in managing the penalty. Uh, what percent would you fund? Would you put, uh, you know, 100% of the future costs of college? Because that, that's one of the things that, that, that I wrestle with as clients, especially in regards to clients with young kids. There's just so many unknown variables, right? Coronavirus has shown us what's the value of going in person versus doing classes virtually. There's increasing alternative career paths, whether it's coding, 
boot camps or alternative certification programs that are growing in popularity and income earning potential. And there's also, you know, a lack of clarity around scholarships and what school your kid may want to go to. So what percentage would, would you fund, uh, would you, would you try to fully fund or what are some considerations as you think about, you know, let's say you have an amount and an estimated future cost based on what you think you would like to contribute to, to a kid's plan. How much would you put in there? Let me first just answer it really directly and then give some thoughts. Okay. So direct answer. If your kid's really young right now, and there's a high probability that you will at some point send your kid to private school. So uh, K through 12 private school, by the way, not just college. If that's your situation, fund it as much as you possibly can. Put 75000 in there. You're allowed to front load it. We'll talk about that in the next point. But put as much as you possibly can. Uh, who cares how much college will cost? Just put as much money in that 529 as you can if uh, all of your other financial house is in order and you already have significant savings for you personally. And I say that because here's what I want to expound on. Let's talk a little bit about some 529 facts and, and rules. Okay, so 529, it can be used for any expense related to education. Pretty lenient on those rules. So any expense, um, you know, it can be it, it can be textbooks, uh, a laptop. Um, so really any education expense. Also 529, any education college expense. But 529, let's back up before college. Another critical rule to understand with 529, you can use 529 funds uh, to pay for private school. So if you have tuition expenses private school expenses K through 12, you can utilize a 529 account to pay for those um, if that is in your best interest to do. By the way, we better make a quick point on that, Jared. Um, another, again, huge planning opportunity here. If you are not in Texas or Florida, uh, again, really important to understand your state income tax and state 529 plan uh, because you theoretically, if you're if you're doing private school, I mean, you should fund the 529 every year, get the tax deduction, and then pay for private school from that 529, even if you're not really investing those funds. Ooh, one other one other wrinkle uh, that's important. 529 plans. Um, okay, you put a beneficiary as the 529. So just legal structure of a 529, it's an investment account, and you are going to have a uh, designation as the owner of the investment account. And then you create a beneficiary. The beneficiary is your child uh, or grandchild as well. So you can change the beneficiary at any time. You are not required to open a 529, put a beneficiary, and then it can only be used for that child. Uh, You can open a 529 and let's say that the first child gets a full ride somewhere and you don't need it. Well, you can change the beneficiary uh, to the next child. Um, And... Let's see other key considerations. So that's the beneficiary. You can also name a uh, investment uh, account owner beneficiary. So essentially, if something happens to you, who will, who is the adult who will be in charge of that account, even though they're not the beneficiary because the child is the beneficiary. Yeah, and I would just add with that that you know the percentage you're comfortable funding should be a function of your values first and foremost, but then. You know, also because of the beneficiary flexibility, you can fund a little more aggressively because if, you know, if you have a family of four kids, the probability of if you fully fund the education of one of them, the odds of those funds being needed across all four kids are, is exponentially higher than if you just have a, a single child. That's a big, big part of it. So 
Oh, real quick, did we cover did we cover contribution limits? No, we didn't. You want to you want to cover that before we talk about planning opportunities? Just setting the stage there. All right. So five twenty nine essentially uh, just follows the IRS uh, guidelines on gifting. So the annual gift exclusion you're allowed to give uh, fifteen thousand dollars a year um, to your children if you want to. And uh, technically, you can give that and your spouse can give it as well. So if you're married and you have two kids, you could theoretically put 30000 a year into each kid's account. Little wrinkle. So 529 is a little bit unique in the sense that you are allowed to bunch five years of giving into one year. Uh, so you could, 15000 a year, you could put 75000 into your child's account. And you, you need to properly uh, record keep that on your tax return. And you need to remember that because you cannot give your child uh, other money during that five-year stretch, but you are allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, just to kind of summarize, if you're in a state where there is state income tax, I would look at your plan, your 529 plan, and understand the potential state income tax deductions. And if you're in an income tax-free state, I would pick a 529 plan based on investment options. Utah is one that we've seen that's uh, that we like, and the investment options are pretty good. If you don't if you don't know where to start, or you can you know Google best five twenty nine plans, and there's a lot of independent third parties that have reviewed that. But now that we've talked about uh, laid the groundwork of how the five twenty nine functions, let's talk about some of uh, some of the planning opportunities. And I think a good one to talk about is. Uh, kind of related to the annual contribution amount. You, you 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 touched on this earlier, the idea of super funding it. What what is super funding a five twenty nine plan, and and why might you do that? Okay, so money invested today is typically more valuable than money invested tomorrow. Uh, why is that? It's really direct. It's really pretty common sense, simple. The stock market is up a, about seventy five eighty percent of the time, and so if the stock market goes up more than it goes down, well, usually. It's, it's better to invest more money today than it is tomorrow. Uh, there is a small chance that you happen to invest a bunch of money and a market crash happens uh, next year and you wish you wouldn't have. But most of the time, the market goes up. And so bunching five years into one year, especially if you have a, you know, a young child, that allows you to put 75000 in and then gives you the full benefit. Let's say they're two years old and you've got 16 years for that money to compound you could have 150, 200,000 in that account without an enormous return rate each year. So pretty feasible to get there. Yeah. And the one caveat I'll add is, you know, I don't know that the 74% number that the odds of you having a positive return in the stock market increases your time horizon increases. So whether or not the stock market is up, you know, on a daily basis, I think it's up about that number is close to closer to 55% of the time, 45% of the time it's down. So it's a little better than a coin flip. So if you have an 18-year-old uh, who's going to be attending college in the fall, uh, it may not be worth investing any money in the market. We'd, like, we'd likely advise against that just because you, you don't have the time to endure any volatility. So that's, that's really another consideration. It gives you more time in the market, but you don't, you know, just because you can fund a 529 doesn't mean you have to. If you, you know, if your kids are in their early teenage years, and the cool thing about 529 plans is they, they'll have age-based funds where they'll get progressively more conservative as you approach retire, uh, as as you approach college funding, which is a great thing. But you'll you'll just want to keep in mind uh, how to invest that money and, and time horizon. Just like in in traditional investing, is a big part of of your allocation and and how much you put in, but. 
to Justin's point, more time in the market is better than not. So super funding may be a may be a good opportunity uh, if you have the liquidity to do that and if it doesn't jeopardize your plan. Yes. Quick 30-second point on that. Uh, time frame should be a dictator of how you invest, right? Uh, risk tolerance matters, but time frame uh, is, is much more important. So your investments in a retirement account, very, very different than a 529. A 529, if it's used for college expenses, you are going to have a very clear date. College expenses start now and they end four or five years later, whatever it may be. It is very absolute. In retirement, it is not that way. Uh, yeah, you might retire when you're 62, but the next year you're maybe going to take four or 5% of your account. So no, you shouldn't drastically change how you're invested if you're properly diversified. In a 529, it has to be pretty extreme. Uh, so those age-based accounts, as you hit age 14, 15, they're going to get real safe, real fast. And they should, because again, if you have a 16-year-old, no, you really can't put 60% of that in the stock market. Uh, because market crashes will happen. Not an if, but a when. And if you're depending on that money to pay for college, well, that's that's a really risky scenario. Um, and so again, time frame matters a ton on your on your portfolio here, much more than retirement even. Yeah. And you know, that which gets into another point of opportunistically making distributions from the account. So, you know, if you super fund a 529 for one of your kids and the first one goes to college and it's in a bear market. If you have the liquidity to pay out of pocket for those expenses and then uh, use use the, the 529 funds and change the beneficiary to your second child, that, that may make sense for you. But if, uh, if, if you super fund the 529 plan and the market screams for five years and, and you've made a, lot of, uh, made a lot of interest and appreciation on your principal investment, it may be a good time to tap it. So uh, that, that makes a difference. Which also means that, you know, some of the strategies, financial planning opportunities here is based on the age of your kids. So if you have kids that are 12, 10, and 8, well, you know, it's kind of tough. Maybe you do just open one 529 account, you super fund it, and you invest it really aggressively. And you see, hey, I, I'm going to use this in five years. If it's even, well, maybe I'll just cash flow my college expenses at first, and I'll let that account keep growing and pay for the eight-year-olds. Uh, college, you can change the beneficiary. Or if, like you said, if it does really well and it's doubled in five years, uh, well then, yeah, you can go ahead and use that um, and, and and make it a little bit, make the investment more conservative and use it for tuition costs. So those are some opportunities. Also, if you have older kids, maybe you forego the 529 if, if there's no state uh, income tax benefit, and maybe you just do municipal bonds in a brokerage account. Uh, collect tax-free interest and make more than you would in a checking account, but keep it safe from any sort of negative market event. Yeah. And kind of adding to that, you know, 529 is is the Mecca funding account, but we talked about uh, Coverdell ESAs, but that's not the only way you could set aside funds for your child's future, right? You know, you could fund a UGMA or a UTMA. Um, you could also fund a Roth IRA if the kid has employment income. Yeah. Which is, which is also valuable. So you can use a Roth IRA for education expenses. Remember that. Yeah. So there's not a one size fits all, um, and it's really a fun. It really comes down to you know what are your values of your uh, of of the family? What are you committed to paying? What are the odds that you could pay out of pocket in the event that things don't materialize in the way you think they will? Uh, and what are what are the potential outcomes? Because we've we've seen clients where you know they'll set aside a certain amount of money for 
uh, kids' education. And in the event that they get scholarships or choose a less expensive option, uh, the parent likes the idea of having the flexibility to, to leverage that money to start a, their professional career off or to put a down payment on a home or to pay for a wedding. So it's not necessarily a one size fits all. And, and a 529 isn't the isn't the silver bullet, but there's lots of planning opportunities and nuance there. Is, is there anything you add to that, Justin, in terms of planning opportunities? I don't think so. I love this. Uh, so what are the three points, the value of a degree, figuring out what's important to you, what is the optimal decision in terms of where to go, what to study, five twenty value of a degree, 529, and then planning opportunities. It really is a critical topic that affects a ton of people. Let us know if you have any questions. I love this stuff. Yeah, definitely. And I, the last thing I'll say, you know, it's it, alignment is so important, right? A, a great, a great call to action before you kind of contemplate and calculate any of this is is getting on the same page of your spouse of, hey, what do we think is a reasonable amount to spend in light of our experiences? Because because I, I see lots of clients who they they paid their way through college and and they love the idea of of their kids having sweat equity, which I totally get and understand, and and that was a, a part of my of my college situation as well. And some people had college paid for them and, and and loved it and want to do the same for their kids. And some kids and some parents had college paid for them and, and want their kids to have sweat equity. So get you know getting on the same page about what you're willing to spend is is a great starting point even before you get begin to value it. It's such a such an important planning topic because it can become super emotional. Uh, and it's super expensive. And, and at the intersection of any of those two things, it's ripe for mismanagement. So uh, thank you for the question and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.